Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dawncast, where we shine lights on stories that matter. And today I have a special guest all the way from Aubrey, New South Wales, Trent Dean, who is the CEO of Mercy Connect. Welcome, Trent. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for turning up on public ho- uh, holiday as Love well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really excited to uh, to talk to you because I was introduced to you by um, a good friend of mine, Brian, and he said, you got to talk to Trent. He's such a kind leader. And I was like, okay, sure. And that's why you're here. And I want to learn more about your journey and how did you get to where you are? So welcome. Thank you. And Brian's a lovely man, so he's very kind. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, right now you're with Mercy Connect. So I'd love to hear a, bit, a little bit more about what Mercy Connect does and, um, yeah, how did you get into working for them? Yeah, sure. The Mercy Connect's uh, a wonderful organisation, provides important disability services for people across uh, effectively regional New South Wales and some parts of Victoria. A uh, range of different services, from accommodation to in-house care for people to make sure they have the right you know, care during their days and provide the services uh, that they need to, to live their lives. And we also have behavioural support to help people you know, manage their emotions and feelings. Uh, but also we have, uh, importantly, some other, other services um, uh, that will be exploring in the near future and allied health in terms of speech pathology, occupational therapy. So we have some very exciting services to, to come in the future, uh, but we've been in the organisation or at least in the, the region for over 100 years in different iterations, but the organisation Mercy Connect since about 98 in this current iteration. Wow. So 100 years Mercy has been operating. Where was it mainly from Australia or was it uh, from another country? Yeah, so, so within Australia, it's only over 100 years, but uh, started back in uh, 1827 in Ireland by the venerable Catherine McCauley, who was a sister of Mercy and started the order uh, and became effectively, you know, the powerhouse that it is across the world now in all sorts of countries all across, including Australia. Uh, and it's been the cornerstone uh, of a lot of Australian education, health and community services. So it's a very important mission uh, and mission work that we continue today and to honour those women that have gone before us, yeah. Yeah, so how did you join Mercy? What made you attracted to that organisation? Yeah, it's a funny story. Uh, so my original start was a paediatric nurse uh, back when I had hair and youthful looks. <laughs> and now I'm a haggard management baldness. Uh, and I used to work for uh, Mater Health Services up in Brisbane, which was one of the other uh, parts of the, the Mercy family. And so I served there for a number of years. And then my journey took me into different organisations, mostly for purpose organisations. And then the opportunity to, to lead uh, and serve the Mercy Connect family here in Albury uh, presented itself last year and so my family and I moved down from Brisbane to wonderful Aubrey uh, and uh, we've been here ever since and uh, quite exciting times so very very pleased to be able to serve the Mercy family again. Yeah and tell me what got you into the purpose-driven kind of business field you know like um, were you growing up like that already or was there a turning point in your life that made you decide I'm gonna just you know dedicate my life to working for purpose-driven companies? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and I've often asked that myself, how, how does one find yourself in this sort of arena? And I've always believed that there's, you know, there's a greater purpose for what we're doing, whether you're spiritual, religious, whatever, whatever background you have, there's got to be more to life uh, than chasing dollar and uh, prestige. And I think my turning point came a couple of years ago when I worked in the gas industry for a very uh, short period. You know, you work in the for profit, uh, for purpose space for a while and People often say, well, can you cut it in the real world? And and you have an exposure to it and you find that the focus is purely around profits, purely around, uh, you know, what, what the outcome of the business is. But you ask the question of what's it actually doing uh, for our communities? What's it doing for society? What's it doing for the betterment 
of our fellow men and, and women. So uh, to me, it was one of those decisions probably in my early 30s that I realised this is what I wanted to do uh, and had had the you know the fortune and, and been blessed enough to go and work in these different uh, for-purpose organisations. And before this, it was the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Uh, before that, it was Churches of Christ in Queensland. And then before that, it was uh, Mercy Hospitals, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so in terms of you know, internally in those different organisations, are you able to explain like what it was like internally with, uh, you know, for-profit organisation and running as a CEO in organisations like the Mercy? What's the difference like? Yeah, it, uh, it's a range of things that comes to my mind is that it really comes down to leadership first and foremost. The culture is created and, and it's a cliche of, you know, fish rots from the head, tone set from the top. I can give you all of the, all the, the usual lines, but essentially leadership defines what the culture will be and how it works internally. And I've been very uh, fortunate to work with some amazing uh, leaders in the past. Uh, Dean Phelan comes to mind, uh, John O'Donnell, another. Uh, and uh, a dearly departed uh, friend of mine, Susie Wilson, was another fabulous leader. So I've been very fortunate uh, to have great mentors and coaches in that, in that time. Uh, but what I also saw was probably some negative leadership at different points as well. And, and it gives you a view of what to do and what not to do in, during your, your own career. And we're all flawed. We're all on a leadership journey and uh, there, but for the grace of God, go, oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, we really need to uh, be open to development and growth uh, and we will make our own mistakes. But uh, where I'm going with this is um, being, in a, I guess, in a frontline role, being a nurse and then working way through different positions in management, uh, I guess it's a change in focus of how you uh, lead, but also get outcomes. So when you're a frontline worker, you're providing frontline care, essential care, critical care, providing supports for people who don't otherwise have them. And then as you go through the, the leadership journey, your role becomes a little bit more uh, elevated in terms of the, the, the role and, and status, but your your outputs become a little bit more distant from the front line. So you've got to make sure every day what you're doing, the decisions you're making, the conversations you're having come back to the clients, the participants, the people that matter. And, and it's no different now in this uh, CEO role uh, so we're having our debates, we're having discussions, come back to that fundamental point. What is this doing to improve lives? How are people, mm. how are we supporting people to live fulfilled lives that are in our need? And so I guess it's it's it becomes less and less about you as you go further in your leadership journey, or it should, and uh, and the more you should be doing to, to support the, the people that your, your entity is trying to serve. Mm, that's amazing. I was just listening to a podcast um, explaining um, like a peach tree, um, versus a hierarchy. So as a leader, you're kind of from the root, you're actually providing resources to support um, your people who are the actual peaches. Um, yeah, do, you, do you kind of agree with the analogy that you as a leader now kind of takes on the back burner of just being the resource to support your team to grow versus you being the, the star? Uh, well, it stars a very loose term. I think people would challenge that, but uh, absolutely, our goal in these roles uh, is to support the growth, and that could be our clients and helping them achieve their life goals, but also the staff that are within our care as well. Uh, and I'm very pleased to still have a lot of contact with former employees and staff, and and you know from, a, from many many jobs ago, and I still keep a track of their journeys, whether it be a reference check or just to to give them moral support. And I'm very proud of some of their achievements of where they've gone with their own careers. And uh, as Dean Phelan says and said when who was, I was in his tenure, it was uh, you know we create these moments of Camelot, you know these moments where uh, people remember how great it was to work for that environment, and and that's what you hope is that you pass on that same learning that they go and create their own teams and their own Camelots uh, in the world. So 
it is it's a, it's a, it, the, the peach tree analogy is is very apt and and for me uh, in this role uh, you try and you know balance that between the the machine the, the keeping the money keeping the the, the 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 facilities going and up to the standard you expect but most of the time you're actually worrying about how is your team developing how are the people that, uh, mm. separate to those teams developing and how are your clients going as well uh, and it is whatever way you can help and support people on their own journeys that that to me is what it's about yeah and so you know growing up. Uh, what, were, what was it like, you know, how did you get shaped into this kind, humble person? Um, you know, are you able to share your story as you um, growing up with your family? Yeah, look, it's uh, very kind of you to say. I'm sure my, <laughs> my friends and family would disagree, but uh, it's very kind of you to say. Uh, look, I, I think life, uh, one of the things I've been about people, in particular our clients and our staff, is the stories of people and the adversity they go through and perhaps the trauma and the life events that create that resilience. And I'm always uh, exceptionally proud and, and uh, amazed how people can go through some terrible events, absolutely horrible events that you wouldn't wouldn't wish upon anyone. And to me, uh, those people who shine and continue to do study and, and still serve and still every day get bring their best selves and bring their humour and lightness, that's what impresses me. And so uh, for me, I guess I've had my own life events, as, as we all do. And, you know, while there might be some, you know, historic bitterness and legacy issues that one carries, it's about not making sure that defines your future. Mm. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not because of those events, it's despite those events, you can continue on to, to do what you need to do. And, uh, and I guess we, we all fall short. We all fall short at times. We all feel that, am I doing enough? Am I, you know, strong enough? Am I leading well enough? And those insecurity and doubts come in and, and whether I'm in the right space. And, and it's about taking, stopping that, that, that noise. And, and Brian Donovan, who, who you mentioned before, was a, was a coach of mine and still a very dear friend now, you know, it's about stopping that story, that story that in a, you know, what am I doing? Is this going the right way? Am I failing? Am I wanting to run away from it all? Versus, well, actually, there's lots of really good things happening. And, and which world do you want to live in? And uh, it, it, to me, it's been along those lines that, yeah, we, we have our moments where we go, is this where I'm supposed to be? Am I supposed to be in for, pro- for purpose? Um, you know, and I don't think you just fall one day and say, oh, this is what I want to do. Some, some, some amazing people are born and say, I want to be uh, a missionary. I want to go and do amazing things. But I think for the rest of us, life just sort of nat- naturally bumps you in the right way, uh, or at least that's my view. And, yeah. uh, and I hope that continues, uh, Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to share one of those example adversity? And uh, what did you do to get yourself out of it so that you know, our viewers can get ins- inspiration? Yeah, look, there's a range that I could offer, um, you know, without getting obviously too personal in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, whether it's your marital breakdown, where you can go through the trauma of that, uh, which is, you know, one of the worst things I think anyone can go through and, and a devastating experience, uh, ranging to, you know, familial loss uh, and, and uh, you know, events that happen clinically where you may not feel supported by the organisation. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of different things. So, yeah, without going to specifics, I would say that there's any number of range of challenges that any one of your, your your listeners and viewers would have. What I would say and encourage people is to come back to the core is, okay, what can I learn from this? What is, why has this arisen? You know, not why me, mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's why not me? You know, what, what can this, what can I do for this? What good can I bring uh, from this event? And, and I think that's, that's the real learning uh, for me is that, um, you know, despite all those things that can happen, and there's always things that happen to worse people, or worse things that happen to other people, is what are you going to do about it? Mm. What are you going to make better from it? 
and how are you going to lead other people to, to learn from that story? And, I, and I'm, as I say, offline, I'm happy to share all those intimate <laughs> details of my stories. Um, but I think people can read between the lines of some of those. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up, did you have certain mentors that really stick, you know, really made an impact in your life? It's uh, it's funny. I didn't didn't. We haven't had any pre questions before yeah. today's interview, but uh, there's two that stand out. Uh, and actually, there's more. There's lots. There's lots of people, and I mentioned some of them before. Uh, but if I go back to my younger days, there were two uh, very very good school teachers. One was my primary teacher, uh, Debbie Mulligan, who I still keep in touch with, still in contact with. And herself, she's been through some significant trauma, trauma events in her own life recently and, and loss of her, her dear son, who was, mm. who was a very lovely young man. Uh, and then there was uh, Mike Usher, a high school teacher of mine. And I guess coming to the heart, core of them, as they saw more in myself than I probably saw in myself at that time, we're talking about them seeing me when I was 11 and 12, and then Mike seeing me from when I was 13 to leaving high school. Now, a whole lot of things happened in my life and a whole lot of behaviours. And I can say I wasn't the nicest person in grade 12. You know, that, that year, that 17-year-old arrogance, that uh, overconfidence. Sounds uh, like me. You, know, <laughs> you have it all worked out, you know. And then by 21, you realise, geez, I, I forgot I forgot how much I learned. Mm. <laughs> you know, so so those those would be two from the formative years. And then uh, you go into the career phase and you, if you're very lucky, you get to greet, meet great bosses and great leaders and Susie Wilson being one of them. And she was the... the the nicest, most truest servant leader you could possibly have, and she passed away a couple of months ago. Uh, and then there's been others, you know, whether it's Glennis Ryan who helped me in the Arab Emirates, or whether it's Kathy Kite, or, or whether it was again Dean Phelan or John O'Donnell. Uh, it's just it, 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 it's it's hard to forget those people. Uh, Martin Laverty, um, just amazing people who have supported uh, my career, and myself, and sense of self. And and I've always felt that it's the inner journey that we're actually wrestling with. Anyone can pick up a textbook, Lynn, anyone can learn what they need to learn, but it's the inner journey that really defines your leadership and how you go forward in this world. Yeah. So with all these mentors, were they just kind of casual mentors that you met along the way that you never kind of just put the name as they're a mentor, but you're looking back, you categorize them as a mentor or was it like an actual, you know, can you be my mentor kind of arrangement? Yeah, uh, no, not nothing formal. The, uh, the only one would be Brian. That was uh, mm-hmm. initially a, a relationship in terms of coaching uh, and with a contractor arrangement. But from there, he's a guy I can call any given day uh, just to chew the fat. Um, and there's other gentlemen and ladies out there, whether it's Jeff Hollywood is another chap, best name in show business, may I say. He's mm-hmm. got the coolest name. Uh, but he's another chap that I ring up and just to, to ask questions and talk back uh, information. And very fortunate now in this role, I've had two great chairs at Mercy Connect. So Michael O'Callaghan, who finished his term uh, earlier this year, now Matthew Clancy and Marguerite Ryan as a deputy chair. I'm very fortunate to have good leadership around. But in terms of your question, I, I really, and, and couldn't say this more emphatically, is it is important to get your own mentor, mentor being someone who gives you advice and, and tells you how they would do things. Whereas a coach, as you'd well know, uh, you know, what's the goal you're trying to achieve and then supports you and pushes you along. Uh, and right now I'm very fortunate to have my own uh, mentees. I've had someone randomly call up who I worked with through a university uh, who said, oh, look, how are you going? Young German chap, lovely man, Philip. And uh, here he is at 28 wanting to pick my brains, which is a very strange moment where I'm now passing that on and, you know, mumbling my way through it. But uh, he's very gracious to listen to my advice and uh, and hopefully it works well for him. But yeah. uh, I think it's a gift that keeps giving, Lynn. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what advice would you give? Because I know with um, younger people or aspiring entrepreneurs, people being advised to go and get your mentor and they kind of don't know where to look or what's the, the step to take. Um, are you able to share some um, tips around getting your own mentors? 
Yeah, I, I think the first part is ask. It's talk to people that someone you really admire, someone you like their style, and it's ask the question. Look, I'd like to call you up, have a coffee. It's always a coffee is the opener. Can I take you out for a coffee? Uh, it might be a little bit more challenging in COVID, but perhaps through Zoom you can do a virtual one. But uh, to me, it was just reach out and say, "Can I have a coffee? Can I learn more about you?" And it's not about yourself; it's about them. So if you can put the spotlight on them and ask, well, "Look, I want to learn about your journey and ask you the hard questions, or at least understand." how you got to where you are, like you're doing today, Lynn. Mm. And I commend you for this this series of podcasts, which I've had the, the benefit of viewing some of the earlier ones. You know, this is, when you're in your 20s, I think it's a very hard time. You're confident, but you haven't got the security, mm. you know, the confidence of go and change the world, but you generally don't have an inner fortitude of what you're about. And that takes you your 20s to work it out. And maybe in your 30s, you start to get it, and hopefully you do. Um, but it's the earliest you can start, and be open to it. It's very challenging. Even now, I like to learn, but I don't like to be taught. It's it's that old adage, you know, that uh, we think we've got it all worked out. Mm. And uh, our arrogance and our overconfidence sometimes can stop you from hearing what the feedback is. Uh, and I think that was the greatest lesson for me. And, and still, it's still confronting when people say, you know, where you could improve and where they see deficits or gaps, or even the gaps that you may have where people see you're better than you are. And that's, you know, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, you often experience that. And I see that in a lot of leadership uh, uh, groups. And people don't want to articulate that. They don't want to say that because it's seen as weakness. But the reality is we all suffer from it. Mm. Most of us don't know what we're doing. Mm. But we use our intellect, our logic, our processing. Uh, so I would encourage people to find out what Myers-Briggs archetype they are, find out what their, their category is, you know, do some 360-degree feedback, find out what your peers and your, your sub subordinates and your superiors are thinking about you because uh, they'll tell you and they'll tell you pretty clearly and you will be shocked. Uh, so to your, to your question, I would really just go and seek the person that you admire the most but do find the right person. Uh, in your 20s, you might be attracted to someone who's successful because they have the Ferrari, the Lamborghini, yeah. the Flash Instagram <laughs> account, the, the the bling, as it were. Uh, and it's not a to me, it's not about that. And I remember doing a presentation to some uni students a couple of years ago, and I shared my whole life story. And for that, uh, before I started my presentation, I got a, a voiceover actor, amazing chap up in Brisbane, amazing voice quality. He did a Morgan Freeman intro. Wow. Uh, to my, and I, I gave him a text and my script and he read it out. I will share it with you after for mm. your own benefit, but it does go into some of the specifics of my challenges. Uh, but he gave this wonderful uh, presentation before and then I gave my own you know, hour and a half session with the students. And at the end, I was talking, you know, talking about all the, you know, the key messages and what's important and what I found important in my life. And I remember having this one student come up at the end and say, look, I, 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 I have, love what you said. I think it's all great but I'm in it for the money and the prestige. She openly said this mm. and they all, you know, it's about chasing that top tier firm, the top tier graduate mm. position. And I was making the point that look, you know, for purpose places need people of substance and quality and young, smart people. And she said that, and I said, well, great. That, that, I'm not gonna argue with you. I think that's fabulous. If you've got that worked out and that's your ambition, great. Um, that, if that works for you, fantastic. Uh, you've worked it out. Uh, for me, this is the other side for me. I, so we, we often come back to when you find your passion, you find your purpose, and that's a, a great you know meme or a expression you'll see on the web plenty of times, but I think it's fundamentally true. And uh, for me personally, it's around, you know, serving and finding you know, ways that we can help our communities, uh, but also helping people grow. Yeah. Aren't we all guilty of that? I mean, I remember just wanting to be rich and famous and, you know, went and started my business for selfish reasons. But along the way, I found my passion and my purpose. Was it the same for you where you kind of found it? Um, not that you were born knowing what your purpose and passion was? <laughs> 
Oh, look, I, I think you keep looking for it. And I've always said, as long as I'm, you know, helping people, as long as I'm developing myself, and as long as I'm having fun, Lynn, that's the yeah. key thing as well. Uh, you spend a lot of time at work and you spend a lot of time around people that you don't otherwise have anything in common than sometimes just the carpet. And so it's important that you can create, you know, lightness and love and, you know, whatever words you want to insert there. Um, yeah, fame, money. I share the story. I worked in the Arab Emirates when I was a younger man, just pre-September 11. So that happened when I was over there. And what I saw in that country, you know, for all its glitz, glamour and the, the Burj Al Arab and all the amazing towers and, and expense, there wasn't happiness. There was, you know, 50% diabetes in the community, in the in the, the people that live there. Uh, there was, uh, and this is back in 2000, so whether things have shifted in the last two mm. decades, I, I, I can't give a comment. All I can say is the time that I was there, we had effectively one of the richest countries per capita by, by, by person, and um, the, the people who lived there weren't any happier. Uh, in fact, there was lots of issues of car crashes and um, people, maids and people from other countries being beaten and enslaved, modern slavery effectively. Mm. And that was to my turning point. It's sort of around 22, 23 to say this, this isn't, this is the richest mm. people in the world. And you come back to Australia and you meet the richest people in Australia uh, and it's not even close. Yeah. And why would you want it? What are you chasing? What's, what's it going to do unless you're using it for good? And I think, you know, whether it's uh, Bill Gates or other people who are philanthropists, what are you doing with it? Mm. And so, and, and look, I'm not the world's biggest philanthropist. I have a family. I have a modest, modest lifestyle, but uh, it, to me, the, the, the outcome has always been the work, and that that gives me the the, the, the strength and the the okay, some motivation to keep going. Uh, and as long as I can line those two up with my passion and my purpose, uh, that's great. That's one part. Yeah. And then, and I've always felt that once you do that, you know, the, the rewards in, in many different ways come. Uh, as long as you're doing the right things for yourself and helping others. Yeah, I totally agree with you because I now realise that you can have fun and and do something purposefully and enjoy it and you can still make money because you don't kind of have to uh, earn it one way because sometimes people think, oh, I just want to make the money and they do whatever just to make the money. But to find both is the most fulfilling um, way because, I mean, I, I remember you know, even just say like you want to you lose weight and then you step on the scale and you hit the n number and your happiness just goes for that few seconds. And I find that the same as with money. You might achieve certain amount of money you want to make but the feeling just goes away. What do you think about that kind of external instant happiness from money? Well, the, the extrinsic value one gets from your belongings, you know, whether it's a bigger TV, there'll always be a bigger TV. If it's a bigger mm. boat, there'll always be a bigger boat. And it's, it's, it's funny, like when you become a CEO, which I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity, you know, you become a CEO and people view away you're a CEO. And then when you meet other CEOs, there's almost a bit of a chest puffing as in how big is your organisation? You know, how, what are you really carrying? You know, are you as good a CEO or a better CEO? And I'm not saying that happens overtly, but there is a bit of posturing that happens uh, in, in any event. So you're never going to be the top of the heap. And if you are, you're just one step from slipping down anyway. Who's the richest mm. person in the world? Bezos. I mean, at any moment it can change. Mm. Who's the best CEO in Australia? Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, but what are you actually doing in your little world, your little universe uh, to make life better? And, um, yeah, I, it's a really hard one. I, th I do think the intrinsic value you get from your job and, and feeling that sense of, uh, you know, purpose and, and outcome of that, you know, helping someone, mm. uh, it's immeasurable. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So if you had to just give one takeaway for our viewers today, what would you say to them? What, just one? Okay. Just, just one, like one, one, you know, you know, you leave them with one last advice. Yeah, for me, it's just really look for that, that passion. What are you passionate about? 
and if if it's about the extrinsic things, I think uh, that you'll eventually work that out. That that's not going to fulfil your soul, whatever that looks like. So where you can, those three points, whether you can grow and develop and be a better person, two, help other people to do that and develop and achieve the outcomes, and three, have fun. If you can find that sweet spot, a role that gives you that, the rest will follow in, in ways that you can't predict. And I think it's one of the best learnings I had, and it was from Dean Phelan. Whether you want to call it divine providence, whether you want to call it just the way the universe works, mm. is that things open up when they're meant to. And another one that Brian gave me around providence is, is things when you, you commit to something. It's about commitment. Once you commit to something with your whole heart fully and 100%, things open up that you cannot imagine. I mean, here we are, Lynn, having this conversation through Brian. Yep. Never would have picked it, would have mm -hmm. never assumed that this mm -hmm. would have happened. Uh, and that's that's what I found life is. And the more that you force, the more that you jam that screwdriver in trying to get out something, the less likely it's to happen. The more, I guess, holding it lightly and the way that you can you know, embrace that, more things will come your way so that you can do more good. Love it. Okay, so how do we people connect with you, Trent? <laughs> More for them. Uh, if, they, if they would like to reach out, of course, uh, I'm here at Mercy Connect in Albury. You can see me on LinkedIn. There's lots of articles and good, great stories about uh, the participants we serve, the staff that we, we, we have the honour of looking after as well, uh, and, and articles from time to time. Uh, of course, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the, obviously the go-to one. Twitter, I occasionally pop up on there. <laughs> uh, but more than happy to, to have people reach out and uh, have a chat, more than happy to have a conversation or a virtual coffee if that helps too. Yes, if you want a mentor, you know who to go to. <laughs> You're very kind. <laughs> um, I just want to leave with the last question, which I always ask my guests is, what do you want the world to remember Trent for? Wow. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't even think you were going to ask that today. Uh, I'd probably like my kids, hopefully, to, and their kids to, to remember someone who, you know, um, was flawed, uh, had made mistakes, had, uh, you know, despite those things, uh, stayed true to, to what uh, I was about. That's what I hope. You know, they remember that there was you know, imperfection and that was okay. And that the key thing I say to my daughter now, the most important thing is never give up. Wow, that was a very unique answer. I really love that about you. And it really shows how transparent and honest and kind of authentic you are as a leader. So thank you so much for being on our show today. Had a blast, so thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Have a great afternoon. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, thank you for watching another episode of the Dawncast. If you're new to this, please don't forget to subscribe and press the bell button to get notification when our video is up. I'll see you next time. You better turn up. You better be there when I shake. Watch me rocking if I can't stop.